The resurrection of Jesus has massive implications concerning our past, our present, and our future. Because for the child of God, Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. That means there is healing for the past, there is comfort for today, and there is hope for tomorrow. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. What we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Uh, do you carry with you, by chance, feelings of, of condemnation from your past? Feelings of guilt, feelings of regret from your past? Maybe as recently as this morning, right? Maybe you said something on the way here because you were running late and you just got frustrated and you, and you let it out. Or maybe as far back as your childhood, you have feelings of regret, feelings of, of condemnation. This might be a little bit of a depressing place to start on Easter Sunday morning, but I promise that against the backdrop of our past, the resurrection shines the most gloriously. And so I would encourage you in this moment as we dive into Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 today to think, to think about the places in your life where maybe you still feel guilt or condemnation or regret. Maybe it's something you said that you shouldn't have said. Maybe it's something you should have said that you didn't say. Maybe it's something that you did or something that someone did to you. Maybe it's something someone did to you that was abusive and wrong, but while they did it, they told you you deserved it. Maybe it was a small mistake that's kind of embarrassing, or maybe it was a scandalous sin that hurt many of those who are dearest to you. But regardless of the specifics, regardless of what causes you guilt and shame and condemnation, you have a voice maybe that whispers in your head every time you think back to that event or that time or those words that says you're not worthy, you're guilty, you don't have what it takes, you're broken and you'll never be fixed. I have those voices that speak to me. I know many of the stories that are represented in this in this gathering. And I know that you're not alone if you have feelings of guilt and condemnation. And 2020, by the way, has been a really long year. You talk about uh, maybe plenty of opportunities, a fertile ground for us to have regret, for us to have maybe wished we would have done certain things or, or hadn't. And 2021 hasn't really been a home run yet either, although today's been, been fantastic. So here's my point. As you think about those things, as you, you tap into what it is that makes you feel that way, there's good news. Jesus is alive. And his resurrection for the child of God is your resurrection. And his resurrection is more powerful than your past. Anything. If you have the deepest, darkest secrets in your past, his resurrection is more powerful in your past, and because Jesus is alive, what we'll see today is condemnation is dead. We are set free from condemnation because Jesus is alive. The death of Jesus destroyed condemnation fully and completely. We're talking about the total elimination of condemnation. Jesus' resurrection is more powerful than your past. 
We've got 11 verses today. It'll go quickly, though, but we'll start with the last one because I don't want you to think you're getting ripped off. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I didn't want you to miss that everything we're going to talk about before we get to verse 11 finds its power and its strength and its, and its capability in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It saturates all of it. If Jesus doesn't come back from the dead, then none of what we're about to look at matters. If Jesus doesn't come back from the dead, then there's no freedom from condemnation. So we start in chapter one with, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8 with that statement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is more powerful than your past. It's more powerful than any condemnation that you feel. And so as you think about what that is, remember these words. Now, therefore, now there is no condemnation in Jesus. The Apostle Paul has spent seven chapters worth of his letter to the church at Rome, by the way, fleshing out some reasons why he can say that. And he's going to flesh out some more of it here. He's not just saying that flippantly. He's not just saying that with no proof. He's not just saying that for no reason. The statement is emphatic, though. He is saying it as if it is 100% true because it is. For the child of God today, zero condemnation. That's good news. And so he goes to spell out the proof of no condemnation. In verses 2 through 8, we're going to see two things. We're going to see that Jesus is greater than the law of sin. And he's greater than the law of Moses. I'll explain what that means. And that Jesus is stronger than your flesh. Stronger than our humanity. Stronger than anything that we can humanly produce. And that's good news. Verses 2 through 4 say this. Here's why you can be sure, child of God, that you're free from condemnation. For the law of the spirit of, uh, for the law of, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now there are books upon books, paragraphs upon paragraphs and chapters about just those verses right there, but I'm just going to give you the big picture. The big picture is this. He's talking about two things in this, in this passage. One is the law of sin and death, which is as old as Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible is clear, death, uh, sin came to all people, for all have sinned. And with that sin came death. That's God's rules. Every single one of us is born into sin. No one has to teach us how to sin. We're born with a complete knowledge of how to do it. Your mom doesn't sit you down as you're a child and say, here's how you get a little sass and talk back. She doesn't have to. You've got it in you. And so we're all born with sin. That's what Paul means in verse 2 when he says the law of sin. And the law of death is that the wages of that sin is, is death. But the good news that he gives is that there are those among us, the children of God, for whom a liberation has occurred. For whom the law of sin and death has been transferred into the law of life through the Spirit. And so that is the first part. 
The second thing he talks about is the law of Moses. If you grew up in church, then you know about the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you know anything about Christianity, you know about the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. In Hebrew, uh, this was the law. This were God's rules for his people. But the thing about the law was that all the law did was serve as a mirror. It couldn't save us from our sins. It could only show us our sins. When I look in the mirror, right, it doesn't trim my beard. It just shows me that my beard needs trimmed. And it shows me a lot of other things I don't like to look at, too. But it doesn't do anything to fix the problems. The law of God in the Old Testament served as a mirror, showing us our need. There's a great theologian out of uh, Africa named Augustine. and He said this, the law was given that grace might be sought. When we see the rules that God has for his people, right? Even if we simplify it like Jesus did and said the, the rules are this simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, oh, two rules. I can remember those. But then try loving God with everything you have. And try loving your neighbor at the same level you love yourself. And you'll quickly realize that you can't keep the law. It reveals to us that we are lost. It reveals to us that we are broken. It reveals to us that we don't have what it takes. But Jesus, God being rich in mercy, sent forth Jesus. And Jesus was God with skin on, but he was perfect. He lived perfectly fulfilling the law. He never sinned. And not only did he fulfill the law, uh, but he met the demands of the law by becoming a sacrifice. Good Friday is good because Jesus was placed on the cross and they put nails through his hands and, and through his feet and God poured out all of his wrath against sin in accordance with the law of sin and death and in accordance with the law of Moses he poured all of his wrath against sin out on Jesus all the punishment all the wrath on him all the condemnation do you get that? Jesus can say there's no condemnation for you because he received the condemnation for your sins child of God he was condemned in your place. In doing so, he showed himself to be greater than the law of Moses. And his resurrection from the dead proved that he was greater than the law of sin and death. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul makes the case that if Jesus had not been raised, we'd still be dead in our sins. So the atonement banks not only on the death of Jesus, but on the resurrection of Jesus. Our sins being forgiven banks not only on the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is greater than the law. He's also greater than our flesh. He, he does what we can't do. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, there's a lot there, a lot of complex doctrine and theology, but the big picture is this. He starts with this idea of the mind, but biblically speaking, this idea of the mind is not intellectual only. 
It's the very epicenter of who we are. It is our motives, our actions, our thoughts, our desires. Who we are at the core of ourselves, what we long for, what we want the most. And he said, those who, at the center of who they are, long for the things of Christ, long for the things of the Spirit, long for the truth of God, they have life. And there are those who, at the core of who they are, long for themselves and their own self-interest. They're of the flesh, as were all of us. If you're a child of God today, it's only by grace. You once were the same, enslaved only to your flesh and its desires. There's a theme that emerges here, though, by the way, and this is beautiful, that in the kingdom of God, Race and ethnicity are important as things that identify our experience and they make us who we are, but they're not dividing points. Gender is an important thing. It has to do with who we are, but it's, it's not something we divide over class. It might be part of our story, and it might help other people understand who we are and what our experience in this life has been, but it's not a dividing point. In fact, there is nothing, right, that this world might choose to divide over that is worthy of dividing over in the kingdom of God except one thing. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. And by the way, we don't get to be the final judge of who is and who isn't. Jesus will be that judge. But that is the division. That is the difference. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. And so he gives evidence in these verses those who are of the Spirit, those who are in Christ, will at the core of themselves long for the things of Christ, and those who are not will long for the things of self. So verses 2 through 4, we can't save ourselves by our own righteousness and obeying God's rules and on our own strength, but Jesus can. Verses 5 through 8, we can't bring our own selves, our own flesh into submission to earn the pleasure of God, but Jesus can. That's the beauty of the gospel. We can't, but Jesus can. Because his resurrection is more powerful than our past. He closes with a promise and the power. And this promise is for those who are in Christ. He says to the church at Rome, and, and it echoes down to the children of God here today. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And here's what he says for those who are in Christ. If you're here today and you're a Christian, and you don't hear anything else, hear this verse. He says in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Child of God, you have been made new. There hasn't just been something that has happened in you. There's something that has happened to you. You have been made new. I heard a great sermon by a man named Sam Alberry, and he said something very similar to what I'm about to say when he spoke of verse 10. Paul is saying that as a Christian, you really have been given a new heart. 
It's new. You really have been given new desires. You really have been given a new mindset. You have ultimately been changed into a person who is driven by the Spirit of God. Christian brother or sister here today, that includes you. Frail you. Broken you. Messed up you. You've been made new. And just as those who are of the flesh might tend to kind of excuse themselves out of it, we who are of the Spirit tend to do the same thing. Oh, they can't really be true about me. I can't really be a new person. That power can't really be inside of me. But what God is saying to us is that you are made new. God is telling you that you're new. There's not been a change of you There's or in you. There's been a change of you. You're a miracle. You're supernatural. You've been transformed by the power of God. And the power that pulls that off, right? So this is the argument. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The resurrection is more powerful than your past. How do we know? Jesus died and did everything required to beat the law of sin and death. Jesus died and did everything required to to, uh, be faithful and fulfill the law of Moses, the law of the Old Testament. He was raised from the dead in power. Jesus did everything you can't do. You can't save yourself, but Jesus can. That's the power. And now you have been transformed into a new person, completely changed. So he says the power behind that, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Here's the passage you've been waiting for. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the mother of Mary went to the tomb. They were going to care for Jesus' dead body. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples, but those mixed emotions are about to flip. Behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee, and there they will see me. May I say this today? Jesus, who overcame death, who overcame hell, who overcame the grave, says to you, You're not condemned, child of God. You know why? Because there's no double jeopardy in the kingdom of God. He took your punishment. He took your sin. He bore your shame. He bore your condemnation. You are free from condemnation. And he raised from the dead to complete with power the work of your freedom from condemnation. 
And if he says you're free, you're free. So child of God, believe that today. There is no condemnation. Imagine you inherited an old house in a city where they condemn like old houses. You've, you've seen, like I think they did that in Huntington for a while, where they had a list of homes that were uh, condemned and they were going to tear them all down and they were like keeping stats about it. They may still be doing that. I don't know. I live in Barbersville now. Never go to Huntington. I'm just kidding. But they had that thing going on. So imagine you inherit a very old, old home in your family. It used to be gorgeous, but now it's on the list of homes to be condemned. But you don't have any money. You don't have any contracting skills. And so you come the, that very day that you inherit the home. You sit in there. You look around. Maybe it was in the family. You can remember what it used to be. You can look and see what it's supposed to be, but it's not that anymore. And you are sad. You mourn. The house is condemned, and there's nothing you can do about it. But all of a sudden, you hear a knock at the door, and you go, and, and there's a man there, and he looks like he knows what he's talking about. He, he, he looks legit, and he says to you, hey, uh, I'm in the business of restoring old homes. Here's my resume. Here's all that I've done. I can put this home back together the way that it's supposed to be. And, and you look back at him and say, yeah, that's great, but I'm broke. He says, I'll pay for it. Not only will I do the work, but I will bankroll the work, and he does. And every day you come back, and he's rewired it, and he's fixed the roof, and he's fixing the foundation, and everything is on pace. And eventually you walk in one day, and it's all been made new, exactly the way it was supposed to be, even better than you thought it was supposed to be. And it's just in the nick of time. Because the final inspection for the condemnation of your home is the next day, and, and so you spend the night that night because you can got HVAC now, you've got, got a nice home. And the next day you hear a knock on the door, but you're still a little nervous, right? Because you know how government works. If they want to condemn your home, they probably still can. Until you hear them say that it's not condemned, right? You're on pins and needles. And you open the door, and there's a man there with a hat on, and his eyes look real familiar, and as he comes in, he takes off his hat, and what you realize is that the man who will judge whether your house is worthy of being condemned is the same one who fixed it. He's the same one who bankrolled the fixing of your home, and the gospel is infinitely better than that. God the Father bankrolls your freedom from condemnation with his son, Jesus. Jesus does the work so that you don't have to. You can't anyway. And the Holy Spirit transforms you day by day by day into the image of Christ. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, he goes and he sits at the right hand of the Father, he says about each one of the children of God, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And the Holy Spirit's job for you, and Lord willing, will happen all the more after today, is to whisper in your ear again and again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're not a Christian, the, the news isn't quite as good, but it can be. John 3, 16, that famous verse says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, not be condemned. In fact, He goes on in verse 18 to say that very thing. He who believes in Jesus will not be condemned. Jesus did the work so you don't have to on the cross. And He was raised from the dead in power, and He will raise you in power too if you simply believe.
Verse 1 in particular and verse 11 as the power source. You're not condemned. There's no condemnation for you in Christ. And beyond that is the power of the resurrection that assures it. Because Jesus is alive, condemnation is dead. Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection. And his resurrection is more powerful than your past, whatever it is. Because Jesus is alive, condemnation is dead. Father, I can't. I wish, every week I wish that I could take your message and just click it into my own heart. Like I could just all of a sudden just get it and just walk in the power of, of Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.11. Just believe it all the time and just live as if it's true all the time. But I can't even do it for me, let alone for the people sitting here today. I can't convince them and I can't convince myself because Jesus is alive. We're freed from condemnation, but you can you have the power to take the words of a, uh, of a less than stellar preacher and turn them into powerful transformation for the people of God. So do that today by your good grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.